0: save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an ac pro recharge kit today be a pro with ac pro
1: it's now time to turn back the clock and catch up with some old friends of a's past exclusively on a's cast this is where are they now vince catronio sits down with alumni of the oakland athletics to reminisce and discuss current adventures here's vince catronio
0: it is time for another episode of Where Are They Now? A's right-hand pitcher Steve McCaddy from 1977 to 1985. He signed as a free agent with the Athletics in 1973, still living in the great state of Michigan as we visit with him on this day. And, Steve, before we get into pitching and you know playing for Billy Martin and having Art Fowler as your pitching coach and then you going on as well, how did you get signed as an amateur? You know, In the time of the draft, you were not
1: drafted, but somebody saw something, and you turned that into a big league career. I was told by Mike Rizzo that I was the anomaly because I was not drafted and to get and be around the game uh, for as long as I have been. Uh, unbelievable. I was uh, pitching and uh, I played uh, junior college and my dad was coaching a summer team. And we had a game that night and we were playing uh, in the Pontiac Industrial League. Which is just north of where I lived, and you know you got your, you got your some of your college players, and you got some some of these old guys that would come out of working at GM and Chevy, and they would play. Uh, the A's were just happened to be there to look at a left-handed pitcher, and uh, that would have been at State, Michigan State. His name last name was Clancy, uh, and uh, so my dad said that day he goes, "Do you want to pitch tonight?" And he goes, "I have no one else." I said, "Sure, I don't I don't care." He goes well, you just did that tryout camp for the Angels yesterday. And, you know, you could throw every day back then. And I said, well, I know, but uh, no, I'll pitch. So I actually pitched the game, lost the game seven to five, and six runs were unearned. And as I walked off the field, the guy was right at the gate and said that he wanted to come over and sign me. And I can remember him calling on the, the phone, talking to Norm Kosolke, uh, saying that he had uh, a pitcher he was going to sign, and and I could hear him say, "No, no, 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 it's not, it's not the left-hander." And he goes, he goes, "Yeah, I know you wanted the left-hander, but this kid's going to pitch in the big leagues." And so that's, but that's how it happened. And and uh, I guess the odds were kind of stacked to get me against me, but they worked out all right
0: you got there briefly in 77, you were 23 years of age, and then things really kind of stepped up a couple of years later and ended up with 63 wins in the big leagues. As you look back on those years, uh, and we'll get specifically to '80 and '81, how fond are you of, of what uh, you and your fellow pitching mates
1: were able to accomplish back then? Really, we're, we're really proud of it. You know, it was really a unique situation. The game was kind of changing away from the, the complete games, although guys were still trying to do it. Uh, I mean, that's the way we were trained to do it. And, uh, the thing that's really interesting about it is that now with the way that baseball has gone, we're still the case book that everybody refers back to about the analytics in the game. Uh, you know, Billy had us completing games all the time and, and I'd looked at it one time and I said, you know, guys, these guys are completing way more games than, than I did in '80. And, but then I looked, I was out and I don't even know how many times I went into the ninth inning about 10 times and Billy would never let, he would never let me and Kingman Fisher finish a game. Cause he was always mad at us about something, but, uh, it, it was really, you know, really cool. And it's, and some people still remember it say, oh, you're the guys that completed all those games. And then they go, yeah, but you're also the guys that brought all the analytics in because we all blew up.
0: In typical Oakland A's fashion, you get to the big leagues, it's a dream come true, and you look at the A's, and with Charlie, he has Jack McKeon and Bobby Winkles manage, and then he has Bobby Winkles and Jack McKeon manage, you know, 77 and 78. You get Jim Marshall in 79. Bef- before Billy comes on board, those seasons for you go, man, I'm so excited to be in the big leagues, but is this the way
1: it's supposed to be? What would, what were those times like? It was really, I mean, it was, it was really tough as a young player because Charlie, Charlie always wanted to come in whenever something happened. If he made a trade, he wanted to come out ahead. You know, it's just like when he sold those guys back in 76, uh, Raleigh, Joe, and uh, Vita, and he was just letting them go. With The two guys they brought up from the minor leagues to replace them were myself and Wayne Gross. And, you know, eventually we, we went back, but it was you're always with Charlie. You didn't know what was going to happen. I went up in 77 at the end of the year, and Bobby Winkles, you know, uh, he liked what he saw. The next year, he said that in spring training that I had a real good shot to make the club. And then the next thing I know, they they trade Vida and they get eight guys from the Giants. And Charlie wanted every one of them to look be in the big leagues because he would look smart. So it was really it was really kind of tough because you uh, you just didn't know with Charlie. I mean Charlie wouldn't. I didn't sign one year. I went to spring training and, and uh, they renewed us and I wouldn't sign my AAA contract. And so the team was leaving, I think it was 78. Uh, I wanna say 78, they, they were leaving and I didn't go. I told Norm Kosoki, I'm not going. Charlie won't talk to me, I won't go. Well, they leave. I sit there and Norm comes and gets me. I get into the room with Charlie. And it, I mean, the first line, just told me what it was going to be like because he said, Young man, I watched you at the end of last year in Chicago and your fastball was dying of exhaustion at home plate. And I'm just going, Oh my God. I'm getting just getting ripped here by this guy. So it went on for another 45 minutes. He just told me how terrible I was and all this stuff. And I just said, Charlie, I said, Well, what about that time in double A? He goes, Well, you were in double A? I said, Yeah. He goes, Oh, I didn't. I didn't see those innings. <laughs> What's it going to take to sign you? And then he ends up giving me more money, and it, and it wasn't a whole lot of money, anyways, back then. But it was just always interesting because you just didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know who was in charge. You just. You. I mean, we're, our our uh, uh, vice president was a twelve year old kid, Hammer. So, yeah, I mean, it was one of the wildest situations to ever be around. But if you're trying to get to the big leagues, it was the probably the best opportunity you could ask for as a as a baseball player.
0: How different was it when Billy took over? I mean, you knew him from the Yankees, you knew what he could do. All the times he had been with clubs, volatile as it was, but they always seemed to win, and he always seemed to extract extract every last drop out of his teams. So spring training of 1980, here comes Billy Martin and all the things that Billy has, baggage or whatever, did you sense that this was, hey, we're finally going to do some things, we got a chance to win because this guy knows how to win?
1: Well, yeah. Um, I guess you could see that we, we could all see together that the pitching staff the second part of, of 79, we were all starting to come together. And there was a lot of guys we talked to and would say nice things about us. And, and, and so we felt like we were getting better. But when Billy got the, you know, came in there and I, I had known him from when he managed in Detroit and I growing up here, uh, one of the neighbors, uh, he ended up a little bit older than me. He played for Billy and he told me pretty much all about Billy. So I had a good idea coming in what was going to happen. But he was very positive. He was funny. He, people respected him. He was, this, he was the smartest manager I ever played for. Probably, he and Davy Johnson were the two best. I coached with Davy, but as far as being smart, and he knew how to motivate people. Sometimes he took it a little bit too far, but I tell you what, it was a lot of fun because you did not know what you were going to see that day. You had or having a beer afterwards, you had to be on your toes because you could really miss something.
0: So, Rick Langford, Mike Norris, Matt Keogh, Steve McCaddy, Brian Kingman, the 1980 starting rotation for the Oakland Athletics completed 93 games. You touched on it a little bit before when you went to the ballpark you felt like they give me the baseball i'm warming up in the bullpen and nobody's taking it back until this game is over what was that feeling like not just for you but how each of you may be fed off of each other
1: oh yeah oh that, you said something that was absolutely the, the dynamics of the way of good starting staff works i believe when you have guys you you don't want to be the guy that lets everybody else down you don't want to be the the fifth starter or whatever you want to be as good as anybody else. So, but we all liked each other, but we all, we all were pushed by each other. So, and, and sometimes it caused a few problems because Billy said one time there was a little problem we had in 80 where he got mad at me and Brian Kingman, but uh, and took us out of the rotation because we had some off days in there, but, uh, cause he said he didn't really know us. He knew the other guys. But I don't know if, again, that might have been one of his things to try and motivate us. But, uh, you know, it was just always fun. And when you got there, you knew, hey, you knew you were going to go probably seven to eight innings every time. But then again, back then, unless you were really bad, you were supposed to go seven innings. Even if you were getting your butt kicked, you were supposed to stay out there and take one for the team. What were the pitching styles like for the five
0: starters that year? And then even the next year as well?
1: Uh well uh Rick was more controlled uh, you had slot six, uh, you know fastball spotted the ball, Uh Norris great great stuff good fastball, uh, curveball, screwball Uh and so I I, I wouldn't necessarily they say Mike was finesse but he and Keo and Langford were more of that Uh Matt would uh would try to spot the ball and me and Kingman would just sit there and try to rip <laughs> that was the you know, that was my theory if you. Mean, if I get it back, I'm throwing it again. So um, we were we were kind of the power guys, but everybody was, uh, you know, yeah. I, I felt like the, we could throw five guys out there that could beat your best guy on any day. And, uh, and but the competition between ourselves was really uh, spectacular. I mean, we even that year in 1980, we had four of us pitched 14 innings. Complete game, 14 innings.
0: I was going to get to that. August oh. 10th, 1980. I'm you, go for me. you go 14. I, I can't look back on the box score and count pitches. Did you throw 200 pitches that
1: night? What was that night like? Yes, I did. I threw 207 pitches. Uh, 14 innings. I gave up an opposite field home run to start the uh, bottom of the 10, uh, 14th inning to Dan Meyer the reason that i went 14 innings is because Jeff cox couldn't turn a double play in the first inning and joe simpson scored from second base uh two guys on ground ball they didn't turn it. joe simpson scored because they couldn't get the ball to first base to throw out i believe it was willie horton was playing for seattle back then but uh no i re- not that I remember that those don't stick that's only stuck here for 40 some years because they all, they all won their games. I mean, they went 14 innings and they won. I said, I went 14 and lost. So that just just shows you, and and none of us missed a start after that. I think even that year I pitched, I was, and i take credit for it, but most people forget it. But I did back-to-back starts that were like real starts, legitimate starts. I started on a, I, I, I pitched against, uh, I think it was, uh, Seattle lost, uh, got knocked out in the third inning and then Langford couldn't pitch the next night and Billy said, do you want to pitch? And I went eight and two thirds shutout against the, against the same team. And I, I remember seeing that and everybody, nobody said anything about it until, uh, I guess Baltimore. I don't know if you remember Baltimore and uh, Texas Rangers got into a high scoring games and then they got into a beanball contest and Somebody started the game. They hit somebody on the first pitch. They took him out, threw him out, and he started the next day. And he said, Well, he's starting back to back games. I said, Well, he got thrown out of the game. I actually got clobbered the night before. So, but, but that's, that's just the way that you, uh, you, you were, you were given the ball and you were going to go out there. You, you, Billy would, he would, he would baby Matt and, and Langford and Norris. He knew how to push their buttons. Kingman, he didn't kind of, he never, he and Kingman never got along, but me, he would, I guess he thought his best bet was making me mad because he would do it all the time. And I mean, he he would, he would say some things to me that I would never, I would never say to anybody in my life. And I coached for a long time. I've coached in the big leagues. I would, I had somebody say something to me. I said, if if I ever talked to you, like Billy Martin used to talk to me on the mound, we'd be on the, the MLB channel every night or ESPN. They go, really? I said, yeah, because you would be crying because you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to take it. He, I mean, he was, he, I, I have just, I was just thinking about, I saw Joe Brinkman last year at at a funeral for the umpire Rick Reed passed away, the good friend of ours. So we were, we were talking about, it. he said, man, Billy used to just rip you apart. And I mean, that's, that's the way it was as old school baseball. Steve McCaddy joining us in our Where
0: Are They Now? episode, Pitch for the A's, from 77 to 1985. Art Fowler was joined at the hip with Billy Martin. He was a longtime pitching coach with just about every team he had been a part of. Did Art stay out of your way? Did Art do any coaching? What Because you went on, like you mentioned, you went on to be a pitching coach in the big leagues with the Nationals. Do you remember anything that, oh, as I'm talking to my young pitchers, this is something that Art told me that
1: I could pass on, or what was that relationship like? what art would do art people never really gave art a whole lot of credit arts one of arts jobs which was my job too was to keep the starting pitcher away from the manager he would if i had a bad game he would make me forget about it the next day he would work on mechanics he could still go out there and he would you know he had that old southern drawl from uh, south carolina he'd say hey buddy and they'd tell you, he'd say, you think you can throw strikes? Watch this. And now he was 65 years old and he'd, he'd have the catcher sit down and he'd throw it and he'd spot the ball up right there. He would hit it. And then he would, he would say, there's, there's no reason to be afraid. Babe Ruth's dead. He did, and, but he would make you laugh, but he was, he just, <laughs> milked, he made you feel good about yourself when you, when you were pitching well, and he made you forget about it when you were done. I mean, the day after he would always make me laugh, and I could get a, I, I felt uh, better having him do that. So, would I use some of that? Sure, I—you know with uh, some of the guys I had, you know, them, it, we would always talk about it, and I found I could get Strasburg to laugh a little bit, and guys like that. And I found I, if, I found that if they—and we all loved art—that if you can, when you coach them up, and you know what you're talking about, which he did but also make them feel like you can't. they can talk to you, that you can get more out of them. The, uh, the uh, going up and getting in their face, although sometimes guys do need to be kicked in the butt, uh, that, that never really worked. I mean, it worked for me because that was just, I, it reminded me of growing up at home, that's just the way, coming from a large family, that's just the way it was. My dad would, you know, he would jump on me, so I would respond when Billy would do that. But uh, Art's, Art's way was just make you forget about it. But he did. You know, he worked on mechanics, but that wasn't a big deal to him.
0: Steve, when you talk to the guys that that played on the three consecutive World Series teams, 72, 73, and 74 with the A's, they point back to 70 and 71. We knew we're a good team. We knew we were getting closer. The 80 team that you were on had a winning record. You were 83 and 79. And then you go into 81, which was a disjointed season because of the strike, but going into that season in '81, after what you accomplished in '80, was the feeling was, okay, we're good, we're we're getting as much as we can out of ourselves as a team, and we think we can get back to the postseason.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. In '81, I mean we we had a lot of things to to remember too. Uh, I mean there there were some pe- some people that rubbed our faces at it pretty good, especially the Angels. I mean, they used to do. You know, they they would not just beat us; they would try to trounce on us. They would, they would, they actually one point one year they were hitting and running in the bottom of the eighth at their place, and they were up nine to one. Now that happens now now nowadays every once in a while I guess, but for us it was like man that lit a fire under us. It was like you can beat me, don't embarrass me yeah and and that's what they did and, and so we kind of you know however that little step right there made us better as a club but we we took it uh, in stride we added a couple guys that were really good guys in 81 in 80. and 80 but we were all friends we i mean you go out now after a game and you you're watching you do your game and you go back to the hotel and I don't know if you ever swing by the bar and I'm not saying that you should all go hang out at the bar don't get me wrong but I venture to say, cause I would see it. You don't see players having a beer together. There would be all of us in there and we would be talking about baseball. That's what we did. We were, we were friends. We would do things on off days. We would, we would uh, go play golf. We might go fishing. We go to theaters. We, we would just do stuff together. Um, and that's why we hated the angels because they'd always say the angels play and there's 25 cars going in 25 different directions after the games. And we'd all, we'd all ride home together. So, but you could, you knew it was coming. We've, we definitely felt it. We had a chip on our shoulder.
0: Steve, I was 20 years old in the summer of 1981. I was an intern at NBC in New York. I got there on a Sunday. Tom Seaver was pitching for the Reds against the Mets at Shea Stadium on a Thursday. I didn't go to the game because I thought there's gonna be plenty of baseball to see that summer. You know, in the Big Apple, working there. He strikes out, you know, 10 or 12. He throws a complete game, three hit or whatever. The next day, the strike hits. And it's two months in New York without any baseball. Mm -hmm. And it resumes with the All-Star game in Cleveland. Take me through the emotions of what that was like when baseball stopped, what you did for two months, and then trying to ramp it back up because the A's were good before and the A's were good enough afterwards to, to get to the postseason.
1: Well, when it happened, you know, nobody really ever thought it was going to happen. I think the last i think we played Baltimore right before uh, was our last series before the break, and I—I I, I pitched against him. I don't know if it was the last day or whatever. But uh, when it happened, we didn't expect that it was going to happen. But we had uh, we we lived out in in, in Dublin then, renting a, a an apartment out there, and my wife had gotten a job; she was working, and and so. Uh, we just wrote it out. We we got bats and balls from Frank Sinchak, who was the clubhouse manager. We would go right down to the, uh, there was just a park there that had three or four fields and we would start working out. We we went uh, just about every day. I, not everybody showed up. Norris wasn't coming out from San Francisco, I can guarantee you that. But most of us were uh, there on a regular basis. Myself, Jeff Newman. Uh, Mike Heath, uh, everybody that lived out to Wayne Gross. And we even had, uh, Reggie would come over and work out with us. He'd drive over, and but you know, he'd come over just to show off his hot rods and his cars in the parking lot. And uh, so we went out there and we, we legitimately stayed in shape. Uh, Cause we didn't, you know, we were hoping it would be quick but it wasn't. And then I remember uh, they announced that the strike was over. We went up, played at, uh, worked out at uh, Cal Berkeley there a couple times, and uh, then we—I think we opened up at home against the Angels. And Billy Heavy I pitched. Uh, we might open up on the road, but I pitched at home against the Angels, and I pitched ten innings and got the win. So I was like, "Oh, here they go again." And and uh, but yeah, we we kept we did we kept throwing. We would go out and we just we we played. We were serious about it.
0: In a shortened season, you threw 185 innings. You were 14 and seven. You had a 2.33 three ERA. Raleigh was the closer. Raleigh beat you out by the Cy Young. But you look back on that campaign before we get to the postseason. Uh, how special a year was that for Steve McCaddy?
1: Oh yeah, I mean it was. It was special. I, I tell you, at the time, I you know it's it was just fun. I had a good time. The numbers didn't really. I, you know, I don't know if they really mean anything or not, but I just know that I felt like, you know, obviously I didn't have another season after that. I ended up getting a sore shoulder, but it was just fun. I mean, it, it really was. You you're, you know, I felt like I was competing or could have competed on any day against anybody and won. It had a good chance of winning. And for me, some people... You know, they they talk about what was pitching for me. It was, and I talked to other people afterwards. There is no other job that I can think of that you can have, possibly have the one-on-one competition as you can have between a pitcher and a hitter. There is no other where that you can have that that's visible for everyone to see because you're either going to get him out he's going to swing and miss or you get him out or he's going to take you deep and uh, that's when sometimes people said, well you're a little bit crazy i said well wh- what do you think it makes you crazy when a hundred million people could possibly see how bad you did the next day all around the world if they wanted to see a box score it, it-, it could drive you nuts but that that ultimate competition that year was a oh, man it- i that's was a rush for me. It always was. That, that's that's even when I wasn't drafted, and finally getting a chance and seeing other guys get that first chance. That was the thing that drove me was being able to compete against them.
0: So you're on a pitching staff that's known for completing games. Uh, Ninety-three in nineteen eighty. Your your group completed I think 57 games in 1981 the strike short year you go to the postseason against the Royals you pitch game two of that series and you go the distance It has to be the highlight of Steve McCaddy's career to be in that moment and live up to the moment everything you were hoping it could possibly be what was that like on that day against Kansas City
1: oh it was awesome it was uh, you know it was it was a lot of fun I can remember I think uh you know, going out there was sunny at first, and then it got a little overcast. I, I remember Mickey Klutz running down there and uh, catch making a nice catch on a ball uh, in foul territory. A uh, close game, but I remember that was the that was probably the only time I ever talked back to a manager in my career, and that was uh, to Billy. And he came out uh, eighth inning. I think there's a guy on or two guys on, two outs, and Clint Hurdle was up and Clint being left-handed, and I was right-handed, he come out and he said, How are you doing? I said, I'm fine. He goes, Okay, well, I got Ochinko ready in the bullpen. I said, Okay. He goes, You sure you're all right? I said, I'm fine. All right, well, we got a left hander, and I got the left hander out in the bullpen. So if you're not good, <laughs> I just that at that point it just hit me. And I said, You're the effing manager. You do what the F you want but either take me out or get out of here. And he patted me on the stomach. He goes, you're okay, go get a big boy. And thank God I didn't give up a double in the gap. He popped up, he popped up to center field, but it was like, uh, no, it was after that. I mean, uh, Jeff Newman caught the last out. Uh, I think Willie Wilson popped up at home plate and Jeff's a big boy and, uh, I remember we we came together and got a big hug and picking him up off off the ground and uh, it was yeah that that was awesome it was a great feeling the uh, the final out of a game playoff game uh, I wish the result would have been the next the same in the next game that one didn't turn out too good but uh, yeah at, at that at that particular time it was you know it was a blast.
0: And you, you face the
1: Yankees in the ALCS. You talk about the game
0: you pitch. But it goes back to what you had mentioned before. You're still in the competition. And while it didn't turn out the way you wanted to in that particular playoff game, you're facing the Yankees. You're doing what you, you hope that you could accomplish as you did against the Royals, and it didn't work out. But you have to look back on it still with, you know, I was, I was out there. I was on the mound. I competed. I did what
1: I could. They got me that day. But it was still a place to be. Yeah, it was. I, I wished I got would have got to pitch a little longer, but Billy, I I, can't, I think he took me out on the third inning. I, I, I'd never had a whole lot of success against the Yankees, but he took me out on the third inning. and I don't know if we were down by a run or whatever, and I thought it was kind of odd, and he brought in, I think he brought in Dave Beard, the closer. Uh, but, you know, when we played the Yankees, <laughs> Billy did everything just a little bit different when he played the Yankees. Uh, we, uh, that, uh, it, that that brought out the fire in him and sometimes he you know he would do things uh well i didn't think billy would do it that way but they were his uh they were his uh, kryptonite so to speak
0: steve mccaddy joining us in our where are they now episode steve you you finished playing in 1985 you did some broadcasting Yep. did you have much fun sitting on the dark side, sitting on our side of the glass? <laughs> yeah,
1: anyway, you know it was fun and and it was nice because I got to do some games for the A's and then I did uh, a little bit for ESPN, uh, the the Major League Baseball telecast. But the thing that I found funny is once I started doing doing that, I, I enjoyed the radio working with Lon Simmons and Bill King. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed those guys, Bill. Yeah, Bill is, uh, Bill, sometimes you didn't want to be up in the booth with Bill. And, and because they had a lot of, as Lon would say, they have a uh, bug that's indigenous to this area that if you step on it, it lets off a tremendous odor. Always seem to be playing near a sulfur plant when you're I, it, when yeah, you're around Bill King. And the other thing with Bill is you didn't have to worry about saying a whole lot because if he had a microphone there, he didn't meet one that he didn't like. But I enjoyed it, but it was that there was always the separation. I don't know if it's like that now, but I remember Carney Lansford getting mad at me for saying something uh, on the TV that he, you know, I just said, this is stupid. And, but what it did is made me want to get back into coaching. Cause you know, I just, I wanted to be on the field It's it's what I was. So I tried for a little bit to, to get back and finally got, got a job with Detroit.
0: And then then you got to the big leagues, you know, yep.
1: coaching with the Nationals. It, it
0: seems to me that what a lot of people don't really understand, whether you're in the game for decades like you have been or somebody new to the game with a different approach, working with and trying to understand and manage and coach the modern player with what they've had inside them coming to that point. I mean, it's it's certainly different, and guys are better at it than others. How challenging was that for given who you were as a pitcher, things you wanted to impress? And you talk about Steven Strasberg, who, quote unquote, had the perfect mechanics as a kid coming out of college, and, and how, as talented as he was, the challenge that you still had to, to bring the best out of Steven Strasburg and others?
1: Yeah, it is. And I would, I would somebody ask me about that. They, they used to say you're either a mechanical pitching coach or a mental pitching coach. And I think I'm uh, more of a mental than mechanical, but we all know about mechanics and we would work on that constantly. But I would make it more of a thought process of working on it, where it was a mental approach to working on mechanics, uh, as opposed to say you got to be here and this and this and this position to do this. Uh, but it was uh, it was always interesting because you're you have uh, I'd have twelve guys, and you know seven of them are in the bullpen, but the five guys that are starting I got to find what buttons will motivate them, push them to get them go. Uh, most of the time it wasn't, I didn't need to do a lot. Because we had some good guys. I mean, Zimmerman, Strasburg. You were the guys that the A's had. Uh, Gonzalez, Gio Gonzalez, and I, I. just, I, you know, you figure out quick how to let him go. But that, to me, was the the trick was learning the person. Hey, you know, you. That's why when we talk about analytics, you 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 gotta have first. You gotta have trust. A guy's got to trust you. So if he if they knew what my past was. And, and they trusted what I said, the things that I would tell them to get them to work on would be a lot more uh, interesting for them and a lot easier to do. And, and that's the way I took it. Kind of like with Art Fowler, that's, I, I took a lot from that. And But uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things in this game that are really, you know, it's, it's really funny and not on the downer point, but sometimes it's hard for me to watch this game because I know the way that they treat it as to the way that it used to be and boy, Boy, do I sound like my dad. <laughs> sound like any other person that's getting older. Uh, but it, 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 uh, it, it's really a shame. I, I, a lot of the fun has been taken out of the game
0: for me. Sometimes it seems like they have complicated a simple game.
1: It, it is so simple. It is such an easy game. I, I was talking to my son playing golf today, and at the end of the day, we, he's hitting some balls on the range. You have problems. And finally says you know what i'm just not looking at the ball i'm thinking about everything else but i'm not just something simple looking at the ball and just trying to hit it and after that he hit four of the best shots he hit all day and we walked off and i said luke this is what it is i played against guys when all this time when guys were going good and this goes way back as a kid growing up and even though he told me willie horton with the tigers then he was a coach with the with the with the A's. Whenever they would ask him, Willie, boy, you're hitting the ball good. What's different? I'm seeing it good. I'm just seeing it good. Uh Carney, what what's different with you? Man, I'm really seeing the ball. Dwayne Murphy, I'm really seeing the ball. Harper. Harper we talked a lot. Man, I'm I'm just I'm just seeing it. You know, uh, uh Zimmerman, Ryan Zimmerman, Zimmer, you're hot. Cat the ball looks big. <laughs> so these are the simple things, but they have a tendency to just shoot themselves in the foot with all this information and it's it's really good stuff. It really is. But it could be packaged in a little bit of a different way for me with somebody that had some experience that could put it all together and mesh it and make it work. And then I think it would be a really a beautiful thing. Other than say, well, you get guys out when you throw the ball here, but when you throw it here, they hit it. So don't throw it there. Just throw it here. Well, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, I would think if I learned how to pitch inside, it would make my ability to throw the ball down and away better. I would be harder to hit, because now they can't just one side me. But a lot of people don't, uh, you know, they don't, they don't want to believe it. And a lot of, a lot of times, it's just a bandage uh, for kids to come up and just say, they say I'm doing this good and not to do that. So I'm gonna to listen to them. Puts no onus on them to make themselves get better. And I always thought as a player, the guys that I the guys that I know that were good, the guys that are pitchers that were good and players, they wanted to get better. You're gonna tell Jim Palmer how to pitch. You're gonna be a pitching coach and come in and tell Jim Palmer how to throw. You're gonna tell Max Scherzer, sure. Verlander. I mean, you're gonna go in and actually tell these guys, no, you're gonna do this. Well, those guys are pretty pretty much self-motivated, and they want to get better, and they learn how they do it themselves.
0: What's your feeling when I bring up the name Shohei Otani? How much do you oh, watch him? What, what 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 comes to mind when you watch uh, this very special, this very unique talent on the field?
1: I mean, it's really cool because I got a chance. I, I was with the White Sox, the last club I was with. Uh, when he came in at the end of the year uh, was when Michael Kopeck was with the White Sox. So they brought me up at the end of the year because I had had Michael and and uh, Lucas and all the guys Giolito, and we were playing uh, the Angels and I'll tell you what he hit some bullets and a couple bombs but what a swing I he, I he wasn't throwing, but first off this this is a big dude we're not we're not uh, talking about somebody you know a five foot eight right hander. He's a big dude, and it's like his swing. He creates a lot of leverage, but it's—I think that I think it's great. I mean, here's a guy who says, "Hey, hey, I'm—if you want me to come over, I'm hitting and I'm pitching. That's what I want to do." And I think stuff like that is awesome. I mean, he was—he's—he's just a special player.
0: Does the velocity game? attract you when you see every pitcher's throwing 95 97 we got guys throwing 102 don't know where this is coming from but it's coming from somewhere how do you view it it's you know there's a,
1: there's again this is going to the analytics part if you can throw harder it only makes sense that it would be harder to hit but it also has something doing with the uh, the rpms how many times the ball turns over spin rate that has something to do with it But you could take, uh, what's his name? Uh, Chris Young, who's the GM with the Rangers. Do you watch Chris Young throw? Way up top, 6'10". If he throws harder than 86, if it's 87 or 84, he gets clobbered. But at 86, he's that up top ball rotation, high spin rate, and it's right there, and they can't center it up. So to me, it doesn't mean so much velocity. And so we always go back with the spin rate thing. Well, how do you teach spin rate? You don't. Well, what do they find out with guys with spin rate? What is it? Well, they have longer forearms from fingertips to forearms. There's like an inch longer than normal. Well, I can't teach that one, but I'll get some monkey uh, glue and put it on there for lifting rocks, and I'll teach you to spin it. So there's a lot of good stuff about the about the velocity i think uh, nolan i mean you know she was nolan had he threw a hundred he had one of the best curveballs in all of baseball he had a good changeup, and he would drop you in a heartbeat i mean there was a fear factor there he would i I talked to ventura about one day he said man i shouldn't have bunted on him he would drop you in a heartbeat i mean there, there are a lot of guys that didn't throw hard but Throwing hard is not the end, uh, the end all to be all. I don't know if you remember the name Eddie Matthews. Oh, sure. Eddie Matthews and I were talking one day in the locker room, and it's the same generation from when Al Kaline and those guys played. And um, I said, Eddie, what do you think about guys that threw hard? He goes, What do you mean? You guys, there's guys throwing hard. Did they throw that hard back? He said, Yeah, we had a lot of guys that threw really hard. And I said, Did it ever bother you? He goes, Look, kid take me down to the airport give me a bat let me stand out on the runway run a jet by me twice on the third pass i'll have it down so bringing that up al k line al what about guys because we were talking about He goes man he throws hard and uh i said yeah he does I, i said but you never faced anybody that threw hard he goes what i said ask any one of these kids they'll tell you right now you didn't face anybody he goes you're going to tell me I didn't see 100 miles an hour, there were guys that threw hard? I said, well, I'm not going to say that. They will. He goes, are you going to tell me that that guy out there had no qualms about hitting me in the head and threw that hard? Try to hit then. So there's a, the velocity has always been here. It's always been in the game. Yes, they are bigger. They are stronger. If you watch the way the guys are taught to throw, you go to these camps and you see what they do, the ranch and all this. But, I'm not saying it's, but all, all they're taught to do is throw hard. There's no really we're doing this. You know, they, they get a running start and throw a rubber ball up against the wall and they measure it 107. Where's it going? They, they yeah. don't teach you anything about command. Uh, it's no wonder that you could go through any All-Star game and out of the 15 pitchers who are there, 12 of them had Tommy John. Velocity has always been part of the game, but right now when you see the special guys like Scherzer and some of the top pitchers, what do they do? They throw pretty hard, but they locate, and they're off-speed pitches. They throw them when they're behind.
0: Seems like a, a lot of the teaching for kids growing up and eventually getting to a level, they teach you how to throw, but they don't teach you how to pitch. They teach you... How to swing, but they don't teach you how to hit. You know the things. Yeah, you know, they, they they teach certain parts of it, but the part that defines whether or not you can actually survive in this business is lacking.
1: Oh, it is. We we used to sit there. Everybody says, you know, I think it sucks that they're able to shift the infield. Well, here, bunt. You have a couple of guys bunt when you shift, and you get two guys on. We'll see if they start changing. Uh, they're shifting on you. We had uh, the first baser that was with Tampa. We were playing them when I was with Detroit. He bunted on us twice, uh, Pena, <laughs> twice. Got two hits and we lost both games by one one run. He scored them. So if you don't like it, do some, just learn how to hit. Go the other way that I, I have, I love home runs. I'd given up enough of them. I love them. I, I, I mean, I, I, I challenged Reggie one time and he said, you're gonna challenge me. I said, if the time is right, well, he took me deep straight away in center field. So I love home runs and and all that, but you gotta learn how to hit. There's so much more to it, but I understand it because you watch, and, and this is just my opinion, what I think. I think a lot of guys are, are as you look at your bullpens, they're all hard throwers, but the guys they replace them with were what? All hard throwers. So you you go down to the bullpen, we get you to the big leagues as fast as we can, So we have as long as we can to uh, control you as far as paying you money because we know at some point after five or six years, you're going to blow out and you throw till you blow. And then we'll get another guy coming in. I want it
0: kind of conclude with just again we started with looking back on those great 80 and 81 teams those pitchers like yourself the, the five group the, the starting rotation you took the baseball you didn't give it up you mentioned it before you kind of defined a, an error people look back on that still today as look what this group of arms look this group of pitchers did together what does that mean to you
1: I, it means a lot you know you it, you always got to remember that there's always going to be somebody better than you even though you're considered the best but for what we did, there, there's probably not going to be anybody that's going to break this record or come along and do it because they probably say, you know, it doesn't make sense to even try. So, but it's not only we did it, but it was the friends that we've become. I, unfortunately, we, we've we lost Matt, but still when I see Rick Langford, Norris, just the love and, and stuff that we have is like, man, my, this this is family. I Rick and I coached against each other and I hadn't talked to Rick in 15 years, and I hear his voice down the hallway, and I, right away I knew it was—I knew it was Rick. And I talked to Michael, and I could hear that laugh. So I mean, it's—it's it's the memories of doing something that's really cool. But man, it was a lot of fun being with those other four guys. I mean, we—we're—we're kind of sewn together forever, and uh, I mean, that's really kind of cool. Indeed, it was, Steve. What a great time. Enjoy
0: Michigan. Sorry, we missed you in Detroit. Maybe down the road, we'll see you at some point. Thanks again for the visit.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. And I, hello to everybody. And that's uh, Oakland's a great place. I do miss it.
0: Where are they now? With right-hand pitcher Steve McCaddy with the A's from 1977 to 1985. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this.